All right, psychology nerds, welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. We are back for our second episode on the 1961 Bobo Doll Study. Today, we're going to talk about the fallout. What did it all mean to Bandura, and how did things change as a result of the study? We've got two guests for you today to answer that question. Before we get to any of that, though, we want to tell you about Psych Week. The day this comes out is the day three of Psychology Week, brought to you by Bell and Psychiatric Center. It's the week of March 25th to the 29th. We've got in-person and online content all week long. That includes a couple of evening events. We had our Psychology Spark sessions in downtown Green Bay last night. We have the Sci Talks tonight at the Widener Center, which I'm sure will be amazing. And we have our volunteer night held on campus tomorrow. Plus, there's been a bunch of online online content, including three episodes of the podcast, new videos like our intro to developmental psych daily trivia, and much, much more. All of this is made possible by Bellin Psychiatric Center, who, as you know, provides top quality inpatient, outpatient, and addiction treatment services for individuals from across the region. You can learn more about all of this at PsychWeek website, uwgb.edu slash psychweek. So my co-host for this journey needs no introduction at this point. She's been on too many episodes to count, from discussions of pop culture, driving anger, and grief camps. She's a senior psychology and human development major with a minor in music. Taylor Galbrandt, how are you, Taylor? I am doing amazing. I am glad to hear it. So first of all, thank you for being on this journey with me. I am learning a ton. Are you learning a ton? Yeah, I'm learning so much that I... Yeah, there's just a ton. Yeah, so um, we should... I want to talk a little bit about what life was like in 1961. First of all, were you alive in 1961? Not even close. Yeah. I <laughs> wasn't either, though I think I was closer. Really? I, I'm negative I'm negative 14 at this point oh, in 1961. Oh, so I don't know if you're negative 20. When were you born? Uh, 97. 97. So you're negative 26 oh, cool. at this point. So very, very cool. So uh, I want to talk through some facts about 1961 because I think for some people, the outcome of the Bobodal study feels pretty simple and pretty expected. Um, I think that's because we forget or we just don't know kind of what the world was like in 1961. So here are some 1961 facts from Taylor and I. These come from Pop Culture Madness. So actually, I want to start with a correction from yesterday's episode where I said that not many households would have had a TV in 1961. Turns out I was very wrong. I have learned since then that even though only 9% of American households had TVs in 1950, by 1960, 90% households had televisions. Wow. Um, Alan Shepard became the first American in space in 1961. Yes, that was obviously a big deal. Bill, Billboard's number one song was Are You Lonesome Tonight by Elvis Presley in 1961. The biggest movies were 101 Dalmatians, West Side Story, and The Parent Trap. I love all three of those. Me too. Yeah. So I, wait, no, I take it back. I haven't seen that version of The Parent Trap. Oh. I should. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you. Ha- our producer has. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love those other movies, though. Famous books were Catch-22 and The Winter of Our Discontent. I love The Winter of Our Discontent. The minimum wage was $1.15 per hour. That is not very that's, much. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad. I don't think we've done. We're doing better enough. But mm. 115 was it's not better. Very yeah. Much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the slip inside came out, but Chatty Cathy was the toy that everyone wanted in 1961. Hmm. The most famous people in America were Audrey Hepburn, Elvis Presley, and Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck is my hero. Yeah. I love. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big 
fan of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird yeah. and his role. So John F. Kennedy was Time Magazine's Man of the Year, even though it probably should have been Gregory Peck. <laughs> the Apartment won the Oscar for Best Picture, and the three most popular TV shows were Wagon Train, Bonanza, and Gunsmoke. That is a lot of Westerns mm-hmm. <laughs> being on TV. Just... People liked their Westerns in 1961. Uh, let's see. The Yankees won the World Series, and the NFL champions were the Green Bay Packers, our very own wow. Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Um, in 1961, yeah. it was 36 years before the first Harry Potter book came out, 29 years before the Internet became readily available to the public, and 12 years before the first cell phone was invented. And it was one year before the first James Bond movie came out. Wow. So things were different 58 years ago when this study came out, and one of those things was the field of psychology. So to talk about that, we've got Dr. Chris Vespi, a counseling psychologist who's going to serve as our uh, historian today to tell us a little bit um, about kind of what the world was like, uh, or what the field was like, I should say, uh, at this point. Now, I want to clarify right at the outset. First of all, Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Mm-hmm. I'm doing well uh, as well. <laughs> also, but I want to clarify at the outset, Chris was not alive in 1961 when uh, this came out, but she does serve as our resident historian a lot simply because I think you've got an expertise here that uh, that I certainly don't have when it comes to uh, kind of the, the history of psych. Um, and so you, you are often, whether you know this or not, you are my go-to person when I'm in interested in sort of what things were like uh in 1800 in the 1800s (laughs) yeah so yeah um and so but before we get to that we uh we want as always to know your bobo origin story yeah so um if you can think back to when you first heard about bobo i'd love to hear it you know it would have been probably my intro psych Mm-hmm. class as an undergrad. Uh, and where was that? What, where did you do your undergrad again? I did my undergrad at Carroll College. Carroll, okay. Uh, when it was Carroll College, <laughs> not Carroll University. So oh, I didn't know that. Yes. That there was a shift there. Okay. There, there was, right. absolutely. So in, in Waukesha. And um, I have to say, I don't have a strong recollection of the first time that I was introduced to it. I probably remember more strongly the first time that I had to teach it, and that was when I first taught intro psych uh, So at Cornell College in oh. Iowa. Oh, there you go. Anyway. Very yes. nice. So, so we've just been talking about kind of what the United States was like in the, the late 50s, early 60s when this study came out, but we want to transition a little bit into the field of psychology. Like mm-hmm. what, because I think as we've been talking about, this is a hard study to understand in a modern context where mm-hmm. s- in some ways the, the results are expected, mm-hmm. but it feels like maybe they were less expected in 1961. And so if we can talk a little bit about what the, what the field was like. Sure. You know, and I think they were really unexpected, and also um, people weren't terribly happy about them um, <laughs> in, in some ways. So there were really, um, there'd be two, I think, dominant approaches that I would want to talk about in the 1950s and 60s in American psychology. Um, certainly one was behaviorism. And you know that had been a shift in the early 20s from William James, study of human consciousness, um, introspective sorts of methods, to John Watson, Little Albert, then Skinner, and moving into talking about behaviorism, eventually operant conditioning, and moving psychology from what was really a study of human consciousness to then a study of 
behavior. And in fact, um, you know, some of those um, hardcore behaviors, that's what, that is all they saw psychology is, was a study of observable, measurable behaviors. There was a lot of animal modeling that was used as the basis Mm -hmm. for research. Um, Those previous methods of introspection were seen as null and void. And and so a very different kind of a a field in that sense. we can't forget, though, that at the same time, at least in the clinical realm, and it's important to remember, or if you don't know, Bandura was actually a clinical psychologist. And I don't mm-hmm. think people um, always think about that because he's known for his research, right. and it's not mental health research per oh, se. Right. Um, but he got his PhD in clinical psych at the University of Iowa. And I mentioned that just because I got my PhD at the University of Iowa. <laughs> so go Hawkeyes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that having been said, Freud was still a dominant force in American psychology in the clinical uh, world at that point. And Freud's ideas also ran very counter to what Bandura would eventually find, because his notion from a viewpoint of catharsis would be that if one saw aggressive behavior, if you watched an aggressive model, you should actually be less likely to act out aggressively um, because you would have had a cathartic experience by observing that in others and your own aggression would, would then decrease. Right. And, and we should be, this is a good time to point out that the catharsis in that way has been debunked time and time <laughs> again. Yes. Um, actually, you know, I'm going to Shout out to my other podcast, All the Rage, where we did a whole episode on this myth with uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Brad Bushman. It is a myth. It isn't real. But back then, it was, well, mm-hmm. even still, believed yep. to be true by many, many people. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it uh, Bandora actually was led to the Bobo doll studies in part by trying to explore with one of his uh, graduate students what led advantaged youth folks who would not be predicted to engage in aggressive behavior, um, you know, you would think more about quote-unquote juvenile delinquents as coming from broken homes or environments where they were reinforced for aggressive behavior. What could explain how you could have more advantaged youth also engaging in that sort of behavior? And one of the things that he found is that they were exposed to models of aggression and violence in their own families. And one of the things that Bandura talks about is, well, that did run Freudian, or run contrary to to Freudian thinking about about catharsis. Um, But some of that that early work eventually led to experimental studies with Bobo to examine some of those same issues. You know, and I've heard um, various uh, psychologists from who weren't behaviorists from this time Mm -hmm. period really talk about how limiting that perspective was mm-hmm. on them you know that they had to they had to essentially translate mm-hmm. their work into behavioral terms so you couldn't talk mm-hmm. about you know hunger even because you had to talk about how long it had been since someone or something consumed something right yes. and so it's yep. so instead of instead of well, this person is hungry or this animal is hungry it's nope it's been three hours since a food deprivation or something like that that this was an exceedingly limiting time for a lot of researchers, and and you can see how someone trained in a as a clinical psychologist would mm-hmm. kind of enter that, and 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 it would be limiting on their work. That said, I mean the yeah. study itself is very 
behavioral, right? I mean, it's behavioral outcomes. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. And he would have been, you know, trained in that and in, in really um, rigorous experimental methodology at Iowa. Right. Uh, and Another but, shout out to Iowa. Another <laughs> shout out to Iowa. Well, but I say that in part because I, I've been doing a little bit of reading and um, in preparation for this because... You know, I mean, we pretend that I'm the historical expert, but <laughs> yeah. even the expert needs to do homework from time to time. That. And we uh, appreciate it. <laughs> yes. I want to say that for the record. <laughs> Thank so. you. Uh, but when Bandura reflected on his time at Iowa, one of the things that he reflects on is that all of the students there were trained, and this was at a, at a time when um, Spence was the chair of the psych department and Someday we'll do a thing on Spence. But um, but great. at any rate, uh, was the chair of the psych department, and, and he said kind of micromanaged the, the whole place, um, that everyone there was, was trained in very rigorous methodology, but that, in fact, there were a lot of different theoretical perspectives that were possible to um, to endorse. Mm-hmm. So he talks about himself eventually, you know, becoming someone who went on with social cognition, but he had other colleagues at the time who continued in a strong behaviorist right. um, sort of tradition. Um, but what distinguished them really was that amazing research they were able hmm. to do and um, their focus on that. It... Um, I think that for Bandura, you know, we can't forget, too, that as much as, well, first I guess I should say with the hunger thing, mm-hmm. I also saw an operational definition of hunger as being the uh, the number of decibels that your stomach growled at. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> so, yeah, which I, I thought was, I thought that was a cute one. Yeah. Um, but it, there really was this even distinction between behaviorists and neo-behaviorists at the <laughs> time, where behaviorists, it was, no, just measurable, observable behavior. So the, the hardcore behaviorists would say you couldn't even study hunger. Right. It was the neo-behaviorists who said, all right, yeah, maybe you could study hunger as an internal state, but only if right. you could find an operational definition that right. could somehow be measurable. Right. And uh, so I think that point is well taken. Um, but I, I should add, just because there are real history experts out there, <laughs> that um, at this time, it was mid-50s that we usually trace the cognitive revolution to starting right. as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. right, with the magic number seven and, you know, right. Miller's work on memory and, and that sort of thing. So so there actually, there there was movement in that direction, but certainly mm-hmm. that's different from social cognition right. as, right. you know. Well, and I've heard of this study, and maybe this is incorrect, but I've heard of this study, the Bandura study, as being one of the things that helped foster the, the cognitive revolution. You know, mm-hmm. that it, it helped because in some ways what we're seeing is a form of learning that isn't mm-hmm. explained via either of the conditioning approaches that are dominant at that point, operant and classical. Absolutely. Um, is that a fair description? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I think that's absolutely fair. Um, and, you know, particularly really... Um, absolutely turning some core behavioral and certainly operant um, concepts just on their head Mm -hmm. by showing that learning can occur without reinforcement, Um, which people just had a, yeah. And and this is the part, (laughs) and this is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about this is that this is the part that I think feels so obvious to us Mm -hmm. now 
but didn't feel mm-hmm. obvious at the time. Um, you know, and one of the reasons we're, we're having this conversation is that, yeah, that, I mean, I think it's one of those things that almost every parent mm-hmm. would say, yes, kids mm-hmm. imitate what they see. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but at the time, it was mm-hmm. just not where the field was. It's not how they thought about yeah. le- learning. Well, and it, it's also important to know that some of the first writing about social learning actually happened in the 1940s. And so Bandura wasn't the first in that sense, but those early ideas about social learning really did see it just as mimicking. And so part of when you ask the question about the cognitive revolution, part of what Bandura is adding to all of this is that, no, we actually think about behavior. So we can observe something and not decide not to show it or show it at a later time and also that it's not just mimicking where those early ideas were about that interesting so i think we want to transition into sort of part two so we've got the stuff leading up to Mm -hmm. this study but you mentioned that people weren't uh super happy about the results let's talk about that now you've got some things to add on this as well yeah well so you know, scholars were not happy right. because, of course, you know, we're talking about major research paradigms being behaviorism. And, and so you, you've got these folks who are saying, wait a minute, you're, you're saying mm-hmm. that operant conditioning can't explain everything. Right. And they were not happy. So he certainly had a lot of researchers who were going after him mm-hmm. and um, psychologists who really challenged his ideas. What I find more interesting, <laughs> just because mm-hmm. I, I also am a, a pop culture kind of aficionado, is that um, he ran afoul of the Federal Trade Commission and also um, the, well, actually not afoul of them, but of of, uh, the entertainment industry and um, television more broadly because he um, ended up being called to testify in front of the Federal Trade Commission, but also in front of a, a couple of congressional committees. The congressional committees were actually more interested in just was the United States as a culture becoming more violent. And those committees um, came up in the wake of Robert F. Kennedy's assassination. And they were concerned about just the violence of culture in general. And Bandura went and testified before um, those committees, and there were people who were unhappy with that. Taylor, I think, has some information. So the Federal Trade Commission wanted him to testify for a very different reason, and it was about commercials. So what did you find, yeah, Taylor? so I found that there were commercials back in the day where there were children performing really um, violent things. Like there was an ad for headache medicine, and it showed children pounding each other on the head with a big old mallet. So, um, obviously. To get the headache, to then take the headache medicine. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) yeah. So um, that was part of why he testified, and he was part of the new ad standards that came out of that. So that was Mm -hmm. really cool to learn about. Yeah. Well, and so eventually, as you might imagine, you know, some of the broadcast uh, networks were not very happy with the, um, the support that he provided for the idea that, watching televised violence, be it fictional or real, could lead to increased aggression. Mm -hmm. And that's not so good for the product you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. And um, so he he ended up, um, there was a um, report that was financed by, I think it was CBS. I maybe shouldn't say that because if they're listening, but some broadcast (laughs) um, where a psychologist ended up writing a report um, saying, no, 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 Bender is, you know, all 
all wrong. But he also ended up being the subject of a TV Guide article that uh, called the the eye of the man in the eye of the hurricane, mm-hmm. where um, he was you know taken to task for you know oh this is just not good research and mm-hmm. you know clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and so we're going to do our best to find that article yeah. um, mm-hmm. and post it along with the, the show notes because I, I think that'd be really interesting to read. Yeah. Um, so did you say it was Robert Kennedy's assassination? It, it was Robert, not, not yeah. President And, and I, I think the reason I'm bringing that up or struck by it because that's 68 at this point. Mm-hmm. And so that's quite a bit later. Mm-hmm. That, and well, so he's been doing this work for a for long time and, and been in the eye of this storm for a for, while, yes. um, which I think is worth noting. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really, um, it, it's all pretty fascinating. And again, you know, I mm-hmm. think what people oftentimes think of is a relative, I mean, a famous study, but in some ways a relatively benign study. And I think in, in a modern context, mm-hmm. um, just unaware of what, of, of the history that was there. I also think it's worth noting, too, that here we are now, uh, you know, 50 plus years later, and we're still having some of these same debates about mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, about violent media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I, I'm going to say that uh, those those advertisers and others, they've done OK. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this, they, this. they have, in fact. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it turns out that actually some of those so media executives mm-hmm. um, at one point had um, veto power over federal funds funding for research on media violence. And I read in that context, and boy, someone should double check me on this, but I I read in that context that um, tobacco manufacturers Hmm. at one point had the the same veto power on researchers appointed to different federal panels with the idea that it would make the research more objective if you know if like each tobacco company had one veto for example that then when the results came out right they wouldn't be um as as questioned so wow (laughs) anyway that is fascinating yeah very good do you have anything to add as we finish up here anything we haven't talked about that you think is worth noting you know, not that I can think of, and I've already talked too long, I'm quite sure. So. <laughs> no, far from it. This has exactly. been absolutely fascinating. Taylor, anything to add? Anything you're wondering about? No, I, we covered a lot, and I, I learned a lot just sitting here right now. Yeah. So, Very good. So thank you very, very much, Dr. Vespia. You're I welcome. appreciate you taking the time for this. When we come back, we are going to talk with Dr. Regan A.R. Garong, who once had the great pleasure of having dinner with me. Uh, and Albert Bandura was also there. So, <laughs> Dr. Regan A. Argarung is a regular on the show, coming to discuss everything from health consequences of racism to pop culture to his work on the scholarship of teaching and learning. He's a health psychologist, and the two of us once had the great pleasure of Absolutely. having dinner with Dr. Bandura. How's it going, Regan? Very good. Very good. Great Very memories good. of Al. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we've been asking all of our guests, do you remember the first time you learned about the Bobo doll study? You know, uh, because I'm a psychologist, I'm going to admit up front that this is probably a reconstructed memory. Uh, <laughs> I did the same thing. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I'm going to go with intro psych circa, I'm even going to put the year down, circa 1987, okay, uh, before most listeners were born. Uh, 
But intro psych, it was the largest class at Carleton. Um, and I, you know, social psych, even back then, was my favorite part. And he came up in social. I mean, obviously, he comes up in learning with the, about Bobodal. But his work with social, as we'll talk about in terms of implications, I think that's when it came up. But yeah, the Bobodal, that was the, that was one of our favorite videos in intro psych. So that's my, that's my best guess. Yeah. That was mine as well. Yeah. I, I don't. I, I'm willing to admit that I was probably conflating a couple of yeah. different memories, but yeah. I, I remember it in intro psych for me at Lawrence University. Okay, well, yeah, there you so. go. Um, Good so Midwestern schools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Taylor, you're going to do most of the interviewing here. So yeah, we're Taylor. Turn oh, yeah. things over to you um, and and talk through our our infamous dinner. Probably we should start just by telling the story, though. Like, how did it? Yeah, happen? Let's do that. Right. So so. All credit or for this all happening goes to uh, Dr. Eric Landrum at Boise State. A past guest of a, the show. A past guest of the show, absolutely. And uh, Eric Landrum, good friend of all of us here. Uh, well, at least two of us here. Yeah, yeah you know him. I'm sure uh, cool. Yeah, he, he is. He is cool. But uh, Eric Landrum was the uh, who is currently the past president of Psychi at the time was the vice president for the Rocky Mountain region for Psychi. And when you are a vice president, you are in charge of scheduling the speakers for the convention, uh, the regional convention. And I remember that Eric boldly invited Al Bandura to be speaker. And Al Bandura said yes, and Eric has a wonderful story of his dinner with Al Bandura. I think they went to Mexican food. Uh, and uh, there are segments of that story and what Al Bandura did at that story that he didn't do with us, which I'm sort of grateful for. Uh, <laughs> and maybe we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah people, want, people want that. But, uh, but no, so, so when I was vice president for the Midwestern region and my charge was to get speakers, I didn't even dream of asking Al Bandura, but when e when Eric told me that he did ask and Al said yes, I was like, absolutely, this is exactly what I have to do. And Eric was nice enough to even actually give me the text of the email that he sent to Al Bandura. So I modified it slightly, and uh, lo and behold, Al Bandura said yes. So that's how it all happened is thank you, Saikai, thank you, Eric. Uh, and uh, I think it was, I'd like to say it was the draw of being Saikai's distinguished speaker that got Al Bandura to say yes. So that's, that was the background, you know, the more pragmatic aspect. Would you like the more pragmatic aspect? Yeah. So, so Al Bandura is flying into town, as is often the case in the Midwest. Um, there are flight delays and so on and so forth. And the original plan is he's supposed to fly in at around 4 o'clock and, you know, ask him if you'd like to do dinner. And this is Chicago. This is Chicago. Yeah. So this is the psych, uh, this is the Midwestern Psych Association meeting. Uh, and and Al's flying into town. But, you know, 4 o'clock comes by, 5 o'clock comes by, and there's no Al Bandura. And, and you know, uh, the, all the UWGB faculty, we had... We were doing stuff. I think we may have gone to dinner or something like that. But, you know, even dinner passed. And, yes, I, we, yes, okay, whoops, we actually had already had we, some slides. You know, but, you know, it's, 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 it's which, which you don't have to eat, right? I mean, you can listen. So, uh, and, and it was now, I think it was now getting close to 6, 6.30, still nothing. And 
sitting in the lobby of the Palmer House Hilton, which is just an absolutely fantastic lobby, and it, you know you can sit there for hours and look at the ceiling, amongst other things. Uh, but lo and behold, uh, the, my phone rings, and I look down, and it is Al Bandura, right? My classic moment, get a text from Al Bandura saying, I'm finally arrived. Uh, I'm late, I was delayed, blah, blah, blah. And I go, you know, okay, well, I'm down in the lobby, and uh, is it too late for dinner? And he goes, no, I'd like love to have some dinner. Okay, this is exciting stuff. And <laughs> I think uh, Ryan had probably gone up to his room for some quiet Ryan time. <laughs> I was with you because I remember. <laughs> oh, that's right. I actually, my favorite part of this was when you looked at oh, me yeah, like wide-eyed, right, right. and you're like, it's Al. Uh, it's that's Al. right, that's right. It, it is Al, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there was Ryan, and, you know, uh, good time, uh, right time, right place. And Al was coming down in the elevator. So, voila, we just popped to the elevator, and there, ambling across the foyer, was the legend, Albandura. And, you know, here's, I'm thinking about Eric's story. He went for Mexican food and stuff like that, and I'm thinking it's late. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't want to go into the thick of the Chicago activity. Uh, unfortunately, there was a restaurant right there in the Palm House Hilton, and we went over, and that's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it was super fun. He's a, it was a, he's a really interesting guy. Had a lot to say. I mean, I think he actually kept me out later than I would normally <laughs> stay up well, for a conference. He, yeah. he definitely, he definitely was happy to talk. Yeah. And 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 I think right off the bat, I mean, this he dives into stuff. I mean, you know, he was at the time he was writing. He had page, not, not even page proofs. He had a manuscript for his most recent book on moral engagement or moral disengagement. And uh, I happen to know, well, his publisher is also my publisher, uh, Chris Cardone at Worth. And so Chris had told me where the book was. And uh, she's like, hey, you're probably going to hear a little bit about it. And he had, I want to say, five chapters done or something like that. And uh, this, there was some political stuff going on at that time. There was, uh, you know, and, and I was, I know I was curious to see would Al Bandura talk politics. And absolutely, I mean, and I wish I could remember the exact issue, but there was an issue. And I want to say it was, uh, it was yeah, it was, okay, that's what it was, yeah. yeah. And, and part of the re I should mention, part of the reason I remember some of this is because I actually, I wrote about it Oh, that's it right, that's right, that's and right. So, um, and the puppy. It, yeah. So I don't, I would not normally remember all the details <laughs> like this, but like the next day yeah. I wrote them all down. But, and um, there you yeah. go, right? I mean, you know, talking about political stuff like that is, 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 mm -hmm. and no, no, no punches. He pulled no punches. I mean, he yeah. just went into it. And I think he was very excited because he had just written about it in his, mm -hmm. one of his chapters. So it was great. It was just, you know, fresh. And I think. If, if my memory is right, I mean, he was probably about 85, 86 years old at the time, too. And there is a ton of energy still. Yeah. I mean, that's still working hard, writing, super passionate about everything he's doing. Well, and, and that's that still goes on. So that that book was published now, I want to say, a couple of years ago. And actually, I just spoke to Chris Cardone, his, his editor, uh, a couple of days ago, and she told me she just heard from him because I'd asked. I said, "Hey, have you heard from Al?" And uh, and she said she had just heard from him. He's just created a scale, and so I mean, he's going strong. He's just yeah, he's just yeah. created a scale and he's validating it and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So uh, all that energy we saw quite clearly is still going strong. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just you know. And since then, of course, since we had dinner with him, he then had dinner with Barack Obama 
uh, to receive it. the medal of scientific. You know, so it's like yeah. Yeah. us, Burt Rock. You know, yeah, I wonder which one he remembers. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they got him pretty close. Yeah, yeah, I, and I bet sometimes he mixes it up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 probably conflates. Oh, wait, was that with? Was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That when, do you remember when he won the Medal of Freedom? It was shortly after. Our yes, and I want to say it's now two years ago. Okay. So yeah. 2016. Twenty sixteen. Oh no! Wow, nice. three years ago. Three yes. years ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know there was some controversy over the Bobadil study, and I heard he talked to you guys sort of about the support he got from his, his institution. Can you guys tell me more about that? Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you remember. So I loved this story. One of the things mm-hmm. he, he talked about was how he, he, I mean, you know, thinking about this, I believe, and Regan, if I'm wrong on this, correct me, but I think he was untenured at the time that he right. did the Bobo Doll study. And here he, at Stanford, and here he's, you know, um, being kind of threatened by some really powerful groups. I mean, television networks, advertising agencies, all these groups. Um, and one of the things he talks about is being like called in to meet with i think his his dean or some ad- stanford administrator and he he was nervous about it he says um he says and again i wrote i wrote this down i wrote a piece for the blog we'll post it along this with along with this but um says they're saying some pretty bad things about your research don't let the bastards get you down and like a cool story about like the, how the support of your yeah, is, your absolutely. institution matters when you're doing that kind of work and having that kind of background. But yeah. Well, then, and and I think you know just just to connect this to research methods and ethics and things like that. I mean, we all have academic freedom to research what we want, mm-hmm. you know. And just because you do something that may put may not look good to the general public. You still have the academic freedom to do it, and I think it's up to the university to say, "Do we back and support your academic freedom and your scientific, you know, right. uh, curiosity, or do we say no? Back, don't do this work because you know right. what will people think?" Yeah, and, and I admit I I want, found myself at the time wondering whether or not that same support would be there today, like knowing yeah. that there are far greater financial pressures on institutions than there were in 1961. Um, wondering how pressure from donors might influence yep. things and, and being scared about whether or not we still, I mean, yes, we have academic freedom, but do we still have in the same degree we once did? Yeah, and I, and I, and I think you probably had, uh, have heard or will hear this from Dr. Vespia, but, mm-hmm. you know, the whole notion of its links to bullying and yep. parenting you know, in the schools and things like that, that's controversial stuff even now, right. you know, so even more so back then. Yep. Well, I mean, I, I think we, when we talk about things like media violence, still, I mean, yeah. that, is, it's, that is not an issue that has gone away. Nope. I mean, people are still, it's not as though the, it, he solved it. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, this is something that continues to be debated very yeah. publicly. Yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, what else did you guys, like, what did you guys talk to him about, you know? Like, what else was there? His puppy came up. Do you remember oh, the puppy? I do not remember yeah, the Yeah, so, so the thing, it was very cute. So he was strong. with him. Right? No, he did not have it <laughs> with him, but he went on at length about how he was trying to get this puppy he was trying to train this puppy to do things in the, in his lab. It was his puppy, but it wasn't mm-hmm. an experiment per se. But he he talked about how he was trying to apply some psychological principles to this little puppy, and you know, and and he was very excited that the puppy seemed to be paying attention. And it was it was in the context of this 
commentary on Skinner and behaviorism mm. and stuff like that. So, you know, this it was just this very, I mean, he was this classic melding of daily life, pets, Albandura, Skinner, behaviorism, mm. as he talked about trying to get his puppy to, to you know, behave in ways that he would want. And he was, he was very happy. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. I have a vague memory of this now. But yeah. But yeah, very yeah. cool. I mean, I, I re- he talked a lot about his book that he, as Regan mentioned, he was he was running. Around. In fact, he we didn't even get to the table before he started. Right. Talking oh yeah, yeah. Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. Walking through the lobby, he starts telling us about his book. Um, and, and 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 the gun stuff. I mean, yep. we didn't we didn't even get to the restaurant, and I think it was on his mind, and it was on his mind because I think while he was at the airport, he was listening to NPR yep. because he mentioned the NPR story and yeah. you know stuff like that. Just, had, it was just so cool. Just, it, there had been a recent. I mean, there's always a recent shooting, yep. but there had been a recent shooting yeah. that was really oh, that's public, right. yeah. and I think and I don't remember which one, but he he brought it up in that context. I think yeah. Sort of hearing about it, yeah. Yeah, so there was the puppy. There was the puppy. There was um, definitely the excitement about the book. And, uh, and you know, and, and he did a lot of talking, which was sort of neat. We could just, you know, listen in. And he did ask some stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he cared a little bit, you know. Yeah. But but uh, <laughs> but for the most part, he, he was so clearly, caught, you know, excited about stuff. And, and to see that level of excitement for somebody well-advanced, on this, you know, timeline uh, was was mm-hmm. was super <laughs> well advanced on this timeline. I like that. Phrasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was it was it was it was a pa- the passion that came through was was pretty neat to see. Yes, yeah, that was one of the things I I really noted too is that just super super invested in in all of this work. Yeah, I think my two my other favorite memory of this was when he asked us how big the room was that he was speaking mm. in, and you told him you you knew the how many people yeah. it would hold, yep. and he and he looked at you and he said, "I think we're going to need a bigger room." <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and this room is huge. Yeah. I mean, this is the biggest yeah. room at at the yeah. the hotel, and um, and we we're I think we were like, yeah, they don't really have a bigger room. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but then the funny part is he was right. I yeah. mean, the next day it was packed, absolutely. Packed. I, I don't think I've seen anything like that no. in academics where, so the room had chairs for, for 2,000, okay? They brought in, because mm-hmm. we, they knew it was Al Bandura, they brought in 500 more chairs. Mm-hmm. They then allowed a 500 more standing folk, all right? So we're already at about 3,000, mm-hmm. okay? And then the foyer outside the room yep. was so packed that they brought in security. Yep. And the, the hotel called in extra security. And there was this moment where Ryan was yes. not in the room. I was just about to tell this story. Okay, well, go ahead. But so, you know, so it was so packed yeah. that they stopped letting people in. Yep. And, and the GB contingent uh, had the foresight to actually go one hour yeah. before the talk to get a seat. Mm-hmm. And so I was presenting during that hour across the hotel. And so the second my presentation ended, I, I beelined it for the room, got there, saw this packed room, thought I wasn't going to get in, was was texting a student, Lauren, uh, who was in the room. And she said, we have a seat for you. And I was like, right, that's great, but they won't let me in. <laughs> and um, so finally I went up and told the security guy, you know, hey, someone's holding a seat for me. And he looked at me and said, I don't think so. <laughs> And I said, really, they are. And he said, uh, and so I texted Lauren, said they won't let me in. So it pays to know Regan Garung. Well, I ha- the, I, well, it was it was timing. I was at yeah. the door. Oh, okay. So I literally, I was at the door 
and it was a zoo. Yeah. I mean, it was like short of riot gear. <laughs> It was wild. It felt like it was yeah. short of riot gear. The number of security that were there, and there was, there were, there was like they were concerned about fire code. It was, it was just like a rock concert. Yeah, and it, I, I, no, it really was. And I, I mean, I agree with you. I've never seen anything like it in academics. The, I guess the closest is probably, and you were probably there too, though we didn't know each other then. Was um, Beck and uh, Ellis? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually in that room, but, yeah. but it wasn't even close to this. No, no, it was. It I was mean, like, there were people at every wall, bit of wall space. There were people yeah. standing, and then after he gets done, there is a line of people that snakes yeah. around the entire periphery of the room, and he takes pictures with each one. Yeah, wow. and he signs stuff, and he signs little inflated bobo dolls. He signs books, and he just keeps going. So speaking of pictures, one of the things that he talked about or that we talked with him about was um, why why his study was so famous. And we were kind of walking through the sort of like the big three, you know, Milgram, mm-hmm. uh, Stanford Prison and his. And he he I don't know if he thought about this before. My hunch is he has. But he he actually outlined for us why he thought it was so famous. And still and he said uh, basically one has social implications uh, each has social implications. Um, each involves aggression, which he said is mm. is um, important and had findings that were surprising to people. But then he also said that they have photo and video evidence of their findings and that that was... Um, and so I, it was interesting because we started talking right. about some of the other studies that were right. were similarly famous, and it's things like the marshmallow test, conformity experiments, uh, invisible gorilla, Mm -hmm. and how all of those also have photo evidence, you know, or video evidence, that that something about that makes them uh, really sort of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Just absolutely, I mean, every moment that he was there, people tried to get him to sign something. Mm -hmm. Every moment. And uh, Did I he ne- gave a bunch of books away too. Yeah, he gave yeah. he oh. gave uh, he gave books away. Yeah. He gave books away, uh, and I was very good that for the entire duration, not at dinner, not before the talk, not after the talk. I was very good, not asking for anything. And I'm thinking, oh my God, my seconds with Al Bandura are ticking down. <laughs> I don't have any, you know, memento. And, but I'm still saying, no, no, give the guy his space, give the guy his space. And, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, him walking to the elevator, there were people mobbing yeah. him. So, actually, Chad, Chad, if you're listening, I remember you. Uh, Chad uh, and a couple of other students formed a little cordon on either side of him to sort of block people from coming to him oh, wow. so he could actually get to the elevator. And then, and then it still keeps going. He's ready to go to the, the airport. Right, so he gets his bag, and I'm and I'm I'm, I'm with him, uh, and I'm walking him from the door of the hotel to his limo. And I'm like, this is my last few s- seconds with Al Bandura, and so I say, Al, could you sign your badge for me? And so he signed his MPA wow. name tag, and I have that in my office. And I was like, okay, that's I need something, you yeah. know? That's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. right as he went to the co- but. Amazingly enough, even there, he's walking to his limo, mm-hmm. yeah. and people see him and come over. Yeah. I mean, that's how much of a star yeah. Al Bandura is. You've met a lot of famous psychologists, but, right? Yeah, but Ed nothing Diener, like this. Nothing yep. like this. Nothing no. like this. That was my no, question. Nothing like yeah. this at all. I mean, there are some other psychologists. I mean, the other names, especially names that students remember or know or recognize, like Zimbardo, it's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Zimbardo is a very different thing. 
I do. And that's all I'm going to say yeah. about Zimbardo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do remember seeing Zimbardo once at APA, and a lot of people like noting that he was there, but nobody mobbed him. Like people yeah. were like, "Oh, hey, there's Zimbardo." He was president of APA when yeah. I yeah. saw him. Maybe in Chicago. I don't know. So yeah, very very cool. Anything else a you're mo- thinking? Of? A moment forever, and I yeah. and I think the fact that uh, there's somewhere is a picture of all the UW folks with Al Mandura. And, yep. uh, and, you know, because we managed to snag him before his talk, mm-hmm. before the, you know, to my long line, which was, which was great. So, yeah, I think he, we went up on stage and got a picture with him, which was, yeah, very, and he's still going strong. And that's the neat thing. Nice. He's still going strong. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much, Regan Garung, for uh, for talking uh, about that with us. We're going to hear from you in our next episode. And that is going to bring us to the end of our second episode here. Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Chris Vespia and Dr. Regan Garung. We will be back tomorrow with a few more guests to talk about why this all matters, how is Vandera's work still relevant. In the meantime, we want to you to find us on Facebook. Please go there, ask questions, suggest episodes, let us know what you think. I also want to thank our producer, Kate Farley, her intern, Preston Fisher, our podcast artist, Kimberly Vlees, and of course, Taylor Goldbrand, who's on this journey with me to learn more about Bandura. Make sure you join us for the rest of Psych Week, brought to you by Bell & Psychiatric by visiting uwgb.edu slash psychweek. Until then, keep being amazing. Mm